So I guess I'm out of the book club. Hi, Keith here with Unsafe Space Book Club. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're talking about the Tom Woods book, National Divorce, The Peaceful Solution to Irreconcilable Differences. We have some great guests here today. We have J.G. Franklin bringing in the international secession movement. He's uh, in Brazil talking about what's going on there. We have Stephen Axelman's coming in. He's from the Americans United for Peaceful Separation, and he's a board member of the uh, New Hampshire uh, independence movement. Marcus Ruiz Evans, he's president of CalExit, the uh, the full state leaving the union, starting a new uh, nation version of CalExit. And Alex Maselli from Unsafe Space, uh, the host of uh, several of the shows, co-host and host. So the Tom Woods book, um, it's a overview of secession with seven different chapters uh, with seven different people. So the first chapter is Tom Woods himself. It's from a Mises caucus uh, talk that he gave, uh, which is a great talk about uh, secession. Um, it's his his explanation of why it's constitutional, uh, why it's a good idea, uh, questions about how come people don't understand the idea that if people aren't getting along, irreconcilable differences is the uh, the statement they talk about here. Um, the solution, peaceful solution, is to just break up and become great friends. So uh, we have people here all over the United States. You can see the uh, irreconcilable differences going on today. Um, the best thing for us to do, in my view, and this is what this book goes through, is to just end this destructive relationship with Washington, D.C., and the states that um, think different govern themselves. That's really all this is. So Tom does a great, great view going through that uh, in his chapter, chapter one. Uh, the second chapter is from a Tom Woods uh, episode. Uh, it's with Jeffrey Deist. He's the president of Mises Institute. Great resource for uh, freedom, liberty-minded stuff, uh, economics. Basically, they're getting more people to read Frederick Hayek and Ludwig von Mises and like understand Austrian economics. Um, a little plug for the Mises Institute. Austrian economics is actual economics as opposed to uh, what the left uses for economics, which is basically they consider it, as uh, Jeffrey Dice says in the chapter, a uh, just kind of it's not even real a discipline that that's just used to kind of promote corporate greed or something. Uh, but anyway, uh, Mises Institute is a great so for that. Uh, they talk about a story in that Tom Woods, just bring up one Tom Woods thing. Um, he was in uh, university. I don't know if he was undergrad or grad. He's a history, history American history and history degree, um, and then went through a PhD. He says the most valuable part of his entire education was the one-week internship he did at the Mises Institute. Um, that was part of what switched him around. So uh, one of the chapters is from Jeff Jeff Deist. I highlighted a few quotes. I'm just going to pick one out and read it just for people who aren't familiar with uh, Jeffrey Deist. Um, he said, uh, we have maybe a few hundred people in the U.S. House and Senate deciding things for 320 million people, or in many cases, five Supreme Court justices out of nine deciding things for that 320 million. 
This is a recipe for strife and dissent and disaster. There's absolutely no reason we have to have one unified, let's say, form of gun law for all 50 states. Uh, another quote, the idea that smaller isn't better is mystifying. We always prefer to have two states exercise dominion, let's say, over 20 million, 20 million people than to have one state exercising dominion over 40 million. Um, and he said, go back to the first Congress. America had only something like 6 million people um, at the outset. If we extrapolate that number to today, we'd have 5,000 or 6,000 members of Congress. So the idea that Congress today represents the people, represents me, um, I don't know what other people's experience are, but I've tried a bunch of times to talk to my congressman who's who's a uh, rhino, horrible on guns and per says he's a pro-gun guy. I've sent him constitutions. I've gone to his office three, four times, tried to set an appointment like he doesn't want to talk to me. Um, and he represents like hundreds of thousands of people. So Jeffrey Dice brings up the point that if they actually stayed with the original setup, you'd probably live within a few miles of your representative D.C. and you could go knock on his door and. And talk to him. Um, the second chapter is with uh, Brian McClanahan. And I'm going to, um, I eventually found uh, all these episodes that these are based on. So as I think I said in the beginning, the book is, is actually transcribed and edited and condensed version of a bunch of shows, seven different shows. The first one is the Mises Caucus. Uh, the rest, most of the rest, maybe all of the rest of them are Tom Woods shows um, episodes. The Brian McClanahan one is episode 1963 from 9221. Uh, I went and found them all, uh, some from YouTube, some from Apple Podcast. Um, and in the show notes, uh, before we publish on the Unsafe website, Space website, I'll put all the links to each show. So if you want the, uh, the source of these, you can go listen to them. Um, I found it interesting to read the book and then listen to all the shows that each episode came from and then go back and read some of the chapters again. Um, because there's some other discussions in the shows around it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it helped, helped make it hit harder. Uh, Brian McClanahan, if, uh, for those who aren't familiar with him, he's a historian, uh, former college professor, American history. Uh, he calls himself a Southern historian. If I'm using the term correctly, uh, he's an Alabama historian. So, um, yeah, he's an excellent guy. If you want to learn about the war for Southern independence or the other name is the War of Northern Aggression, a.k.a. the Civil War. I don't think you ever would hear Brian McClanahan use that term for it since it wasn't a civil war. Uh, he's great. Um, and I'm a Florida guy, so I've learned a lot about Southern history from watching his show. Uh, he says, uh, Tom Woods starts by asking him, let's look at secession from a practical rather than a theoretical point of view. This is a great episode because, you know, we do have a lot of uh, basement warriors typing about secession. Um talking about what did the founders really mean by this or that, which isn't hard to figure out. If you don't have a law degree, you, you can just read the thing and you understand it. Um, so Brian goes through um, what would have to happen. This is an interesting episode just from a nuts and bolts of what would happen. So um, his first answer to that question, you know, what would it look like? He says, first of all, there would have to be negotiation. This happened in 1860 when South Carolina left the union. They sent commissioners to Washington, D.C. to try to purchase federal property, and including Fort Sumpner. I didn't know that. I learned that from Brian McClanahan. That isn't in your school history textbooks if you went to government school in New Jersey like me. 
So if we looked at it by population, Brian says, we might say the national debt is X trillion dollars. So everybody in the state has to pay 30,000 a head or something like that. They have to absorb the debt. But what if the federal property there was never purchased by the federal government to begin with? What if the property was simply given to the federal government by the state? And so would that property then be the property of the state that is seceding? Would the federal government have to purchase that property from the state? That's an interesting point. Um, South Carolina did try to purchase Fort Sumner uh, and they also spent months in the beginning before that war started trying to get the U.S. government to leave. Uh, during that entire time, the people from that fort were wandering around Charleston shopping and going to the bars and nobody bothered them. Um, it wasn't until the, uh, the federal government sent a supply ship in that they started trying to chase them out. So, um, and the property belonged, once South Carolina left the Union, the property belonged to South Carolina. It, South Carolina was an independent uh, province then. So um, the uh, uh, one more quote from here from Brian, would the federal government be willing to negotiate? That's the question. That is an interesting question. They weren't in 1860, as uh, we all know. Brian says, that is a major obstacle, but I think one that can be overcome if you have people who are thinking logically and in the name of peace. Both of those things have together, have to be taken together. Um, he also talks about uh, the state of Alabama. So that's where Brian lives. Um, he says it has 4 million people in it today. The United States had 4 million people in 1790. That's an interesting point for people that are arguing about that you can't decentralize the United States because bigger is better. The bigger is better argument. Uh, Brian says, are you telling me that you couldn't decentralize Alabama? How about you couldn't decentralize California? Uh, we have uh, Marcus can talk about that later, but California's got 40 million people. It would be, I don't recall the number exactly. I'm sure he'll let us know, but it's like be the 10th biggest GDP in the world. Like, of course, California can survive on its own. It's like, It'll be bigger than almost every country in the world. Four. I, he's giving me a thumbs up in the. I didn't pull everybody in yet, but if you're muted, Marcus, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you guys in just so uh, you can we can see you, see who's here. Um, so you're welcome to give a thumbs up here. Um, <laughs> so uh, the next chapter, and Brian, if for people who haven't watched Brian McClanahan's show, uh, he does a show called Brian McClanahan. Uh, it's a great show. And secession is a topic he often talks about. Uh, he does a lot of the actual history from uh, the South, from the point of view of the people who were just trying to do the self-governance thing. Like, for example, my state of Florida, which is not a voluntary member of the union. Um, all right. Chapter four is with Michael Malice. Probably everybody knows who he is, but he's just a general S-H-I-T shirt, stir, and he's always makes great points. Uh, this was a fun one. Um, it's called After Brexit, American Secession. It's from a 2016 Tom Wood show, episode 1694. Again, transcribed. Um, I had a couple quotes from here. Malice says, uh, when they were talking about the, um, the secession that triggers everybody into thinking that secession is goes hand in hand with violence. Like those two things have to go together. Uh, Michael Malice says, wars don't establish truth. They establish dominance. When someone wins a war, that doesn't mean they've legally proven their case. Stalin beat Hitler. 
That's a good point. <laughs> that doesn't mean Stalin was right and Hitler was wrong. They were both wrong. Um, Hitler is not wrong sim simply because he lost World War II. The left speaks of the Northern victory in the Civil War, that the nor Northern victory in the Civil War disproved the legally legality of slavery. But military victories don't prove abstract propositions. So this is a fun chapter. Um, he also says, it's very easy to separate out into two or more groups, at least. You should have some people period of internal migration. So he's talking from, this was a conversation they got into the practical aspects of how secession would work. One half would become more libertarian and one half would become less libertarian, or it would be a mix. But then you could further segregate out into four. So you'd have that Nolan chart and you'd have the right authoritarians, the right libertarians, the left libertarians, and the libertarian authoritarians. That's the two-dimensional chart that separates this, what I would just refer as silly thing where you got to have the right-left divide and everybody's either in this camp or in this other camp, which doesn't explain most people. Uh, I suspect it doesn't explain a lot of the people here, maybe everybody. It doesn't explain me. I've never been right or left. I'm not conservative. I'm not liberal. I've never been either one of them. That doesn't describe me at all. So I like the discussion on that. Um, and he asked the question, this is like a typical Michael Malice quip. Wouldn't you rather have a bad neighbor than a bad roommate? That's a good one. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to write that one down. Let me uh, find uh, another, another quote. Actually, I'm going to go on in the interest of time. I'm 15 minutes into the intro here. Uh, the next chapter is F.H. Buckley. I was not familiar with him at all. Uh, this was a really interesting one. I'd listened to his show several times. It's episode 1575, 1575 from January 23rd, 2020. Uh, Frank Buckley is his name. He's a uh, professor at the Anton Scalia Law School and George Mason University. So this is really interesting. This is actually fascinating to find a law professor talking about secession. I don't know how much time... Uh, people have spent talking to attorneys, but most people that have been to law school in the United States uh, have a lot of trouble talking about this. And the reason is, this isn't from the book. I, I'm trying to review the book, but I just want to make the point of why I said that. Um, most attorneys that have a law school degree have a huge burden when they talk about secession, because what they know about is constitutional law, quote unquote. They know about the court cases. So they'll bring up Texas v. White. They'll bring up states can't secede. Uh, that's what they know about. To get a law person with a law degree to just read the constitution in English and read some of the founding documents is an uphill battle in my personal experience. So I really enjoyed this chapter hearing about a law professor who wrote a book called American Secession. That's an interesting one. So Tom Wood starts with this. He says, the very fact that I have on the line with me a law professor who speaks with something other than contempt about the compact theory of the union, no, dare I say, even knows what the compact theory of the union is, is an astonishing thing. And then, of course, the idea of secession, especially for Americans, is to toxic. It's unthinkable. Um, so uh, Frank Buckley says about the... Um, uh, constitution and writing ab about the compact theory. Uh, that's a theory about how the states entering the union in 1787, 88, and 89, when they ratified the Const constitution, did so as separate sovereign entities who retained the right to exit from the union 
if they so desired. That made perfect sense. The ratifying convention in Virginia expressly reserved the right to exit the union. And yet here in Virginia, when Virginia exercised that option, my city of Alexandria was occupied by federal troops. That wasn't right. Uh, he, uh, Buckley goes into a couple different types of people that are against the against secession. Uh, and he starts with two groups, conservative. Uh, this, this does a nice job of describing a lot of conservatives. It's not all. It's, I don't even know if it's most, but you definitely see these even in liberty groups. Uh, he says on the conservative side, uh, the people say we live in a regulatory state which is lawless. The regulatory state is based on, based on the code of federal regulations. It's federal re regulations that bother this group. So secession would mean deregulation in the same way that Brexit in Britain meant deregulation, escape from the crazy rules of Brussels. Uh, that's his type one. Uh, that's true. And it's correct. The code of federal regulations is, is ridiculous. Um, so that is one of the conservative views in favor of secession. Um, number two, he brings up people who rail against the corruption of American politics. Uh, this is another true version of why secession would be good. He says, we have a less corrupt government when the government is closer to the people as it would be in a smaller com country. I did some number crunching. Smaller countries are less corrupt. That's a great point. Talk about Norway, Switzerland. Um, those are places that are small. They, their population's smaller than a lot of U.S. states. Five million, seven million, ten million. That's the kind of numbers in a lot of those countries. Um, Switzerland's one of the freer countries in the world. Uh, smaller itself, I don't know if he's the one who mentioned it, but it's one of the people in the book, um, brought up Hong Kong. Hong Kong is is a prosperous, um, you know, pretty free, although I wouldn't want to live there now with China coming down on them as a little aside. Uh, but yes, bigger isn't better as far as liberty goes. That's clear. Russia was not, Soviet Union was not a good liberty place. China, biggest country in the world, that's not too great for liberty. Uh, India is only so-so. Those are the biggest countries. So bigger isn't better as far as liberty goes. Um, Buckley says nobody in, oh, this is when they got into the, uh, the war for Southern independence, which is the name I prefer using rather than the war of Northern aggression. Um, he says nobody in 1861 said it was about slavery, any slavery voices in the Republican administration, William Seward, Seward and Abraham Lincoln were prepared to concede an amendment that would guarantee the right of slavery permanently in the constitution. No country better protected slavery. That's an interesting point. He's saying in 1861, there wasn't a country in the world that protected slavery better than the U.S. federal government. So 1861 was not about slavery. That happened later. That's a, that's a good argument to bring up with the people who try to claim that that war was entirely about slavery and that if you're in favor of secession, that means that you believe in slavery. Uh, those are two separate things. Um, so he said that uh, what we're seeing in the United States, we're seeing that grow. We're seeing people move. Uh, so people move in both directions. Uh, he says people are moving from Illinois or California to Texas. That would accelerate all this. So he says we wouldn't see a war. This is if a secession happened, whether it's California or Texas. It's the same point because if Texas secedes, I'll throw this in for Marcus's benefit. If Texas succeeds, there will be people from Texas that will move to California. Um, 
they might have to repopulate Austin. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> and and same with the other direction. I personally think there'll be more people will go from California to Texas than the other way if they both seceded. But I don't have numbers on it, so I'm not even sure. Um, but anyway, what uh, what Frank Buckley says is uh, we wouldn't see a war, but the U-Haul company would make out like bandits. It's a good one. That's probably true. Yeah, I moved here. Uh, one brief thing since I already started on it. I'm trying to review the book, not say what my thoughts are. But yeah, I moved here from, from the Democratic People's Republic of New Jersey about seven years ago. <laughs> and when I moved, <laughs> when I moved, um, yeah, I think Marcus got that reference. Um, when, when I moved, uh, I did check U-Haul rates. I didn't actually use a U-Haul. I had help. Um, with people with their own vehicles, but the U-Haul ratio between New Jersey and Florida is somewhere in the neighborhood of three to three to three point five to one. Uh, California is about the same to Texas. I looked that up for somebody that was moving to Texas. Uh, the U-Haul ratio is an interesting measurement, uh, and I'm saying this because he brought it up in in this chapter about the U-Haul making like bandits. A uh, U-Haul has to pay people to like fly to Florida and drive U-Haul trucks back to New Jersey. Like that's a problem because the U-Haul ratio is three and a half to one. So to rent a, a decent sized truck to move from New Jersey to Florida might cost like three grand to rent a truck to move from Florida, New Jersey might be like 600, 800 bucks. Like they're happy to have you bring a truck back to New Jersey. Um, they practically pay you for it. Um, anyway, the next chapter uh, is Daniel Miller, the great Daniel Miller. I have his book here. Another good reference. Um, Texit. Uh, this is an excellent book. Uh, oh, we should put post the link for this one in because this was a former book club selection about a year ago in Unsafe Space. So we'll post that in the show notes too on the website. Um, Daniel Miller, his book is called Texas, The Case for Texas Secession. This is from episode 1967, September 8th, 2021 of the Tom Wood Show from his podcast. Um Tom Wood starts this one, this chapter out by saying that there's never been a better potential to at least get people to listen to the idea of secession as a question. He's asking about in our lifetime. Would you agree with that? Uh, Daniel Miller says, from my point of view, it's an inevitability. If we look at the period after World War II, there were about 54 recognized sovereign countries around the world. By the end of the 20th century, there were 192. What we're experiencing is an international geopolitical trend whereby people simply want the right to govern themselves. And it's happening every day. It's a great point. He's not, he's not saying that, well, when is it going to happen? He's saying it is happening. Just look around. It is a worldwide trend. Um, he says what we're, he talks about like Texas leaving. Uh, what we're receiving here in Texas right now are essentially political, cultural, and economic refugees from other states where their core values are not represented in state government. Uh, sorry, Marcus, he says places like New York or California, which is a subset of people. I know there's, like I said, I'm sure there's people from New York. If, if New York's not going to secede, but if they did, there would be people abandoning New York for California. We all, I think we, everybody here recognizes that. Probably even Stephen, Stephen who's in New York. He <laughs> um, probably have some of his neighbors want to leave, but that's not going to happen. I don't think you have to worry about New York. Nobody's talking about New York secession that I know of. Uh, Daniel Miller says this red and blue thing is a ridiculous driving line. 
And then he talks about the border. So he brings up the two, two primary issues, uh, two or three. Um, the first one he brought up was, was the border. He said, we've been experiencing here in Texas for over 20 years now, the border and immigration are the number one drivers for independence. So that is a southern, the, the, the states along the Mexican border have that problem. Um, and it's not not wanting anybody to come in. It's just the the, the open border doesn't work. Um, I'm not a huge wall proponent. I think we just have to stop throwing diamonds all over our lawn. I'm paraphrasing uh, Stefan Molyneux, who, who asked the question, how big of a wall do you have to build around your property if you scattered diamonds all over your front yard? Um, so that's the problem with the wall, basically. Uh, we didn't... We didn't need that. We shouldn't need that um, because we shouldn't hand people too much money just for coming here. So uh, Tom Woods asked him the question, the federal government would let never let you go as a quote. That's a common argument against secession, right? We've all heard that one. Uh, how do you answer that? He asked Daniel Miller. Uh, he says, tell me how they won't. That's a good answer. Uh, we're going to follow the process where the people go to the polls, vote in a referendum, uh, then he says, if no one fires on Fort Sumpner, then what is it that they do? So what would the federal government do? He says, the moment that the United States federal government acts against any people who engage in a process like I just described, it's referring to the referendum vote process, well, 75 to 80 years of foreign policy where they've gone and sent our grandfathers, our fathers, our mothers, our sons and daughters to fight shed blood and potentially die for the right of self-determination for other people, all that goes out the window. That's true. That's a great way to put that. Uh, he says, you have polls from noted pollsters that show that almost half the active duty military believe that the states have an absolute right to withdraw from the union. So there's a chapter on that in Texas, uh, and he mentions it in this book too that gets into what would actually happen if the United States president attempted to stop using force, what Lincoln did basically. Uh, and that's an interesting one. I've been saying this for many years. Like, do you really think, you know, I'm, I'm in Florida. Does anybody really think president Biden, I started saying this with Obama, but I thought the same thing at Obama. I thought it about Trump. I think it about Biden. Do you think that the president would send the Air Force to Tallahassee and destroy Tallahassee. Like, no, I don't think that would happen today. I mean, I don't particularly like any of those guys as president. Uh, I didn't vote for any of them. Um, I don't think Hillary would have done that. She's like of the four names I just mentioned. She's the biggest warmonger. Um, I don't even think G.W. Bush would do it, who's the biggest war guy we've had in a long time. I don't think he would destroy Tallahassee. Um, so anyway, I, I agree with that. Uh, the second thing you brought up in Texas, Article 1, Section 2 of the Texas Constitution says, all political power is inherent in the people and all free governments are founded on their authority and instituted for their benefit. And the people of Texas have at all times the inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government in such manner as they think expedient. That's in the Texas Constitution. Uh, and that's after the war. So that's the one when Texas got annexed back into the United States. That's the one that's in there. So as far as a referendum in Texas to leave, like, yeah, of course they can do that legally. Um, 
he gets into Sam Houston, uh, who um, that uh, that little town named Houston is named after him. He was a big guy during the uh, when Texas uh, seceded before, maybe even several of the secessions. As an aside, I count three for Texas. If I'm counting right, so uh, Mexico seceded from Spain uh, and formed a new country. Texas was part of that; it was a state. Then Texas seceded from Mexico and formed the Republic of Texas. They were an independent, sovereign nation for 10 years. Uh, then Texas petitioned and joined the United States. Uh, and then Texas seceded from the United States. So Texas people, historically, uh, that's probably written some, down somewhere. They know how to leave. Um, he just says, Sam Houston said, if Texas came into the union via referendum, if we exit, that needs to be put to a vote of the people as well. You're saying the state legislature can't make that call, right? Your representatives that you send to your state capital, uh, they can propose it, discuss it, approve it, but it's got to go to referendum. And we see that in other places. Maybe Stephen can talk about the New Hampshire one that uh, was was in the state, went to the, the floor. They discussed it and voted on it this year. Um, there are states that are moving, moving uh, closer to that. Um, Texas may have one soon, too. Um, where they actually make a constitutional amendment to go to referendum. Um, he says, as long as the question is clearly put to a vote of the people of Texas and the people made the decision to text it, then we're on solid ground. Um, he talks a bit about the uh, the money. I don't think I mentioned that. Several of the people in the book bring it up. But uh, Daniel said, our side is pretty straightforward. Right now, we know that the backs of Texas taxpayers are being broken by the enormous tax burden foisted on us by Washington, D.C. They're stealing from our pockets. They're taking about 40% of our take-home pay that we never will see again. We're overpaying anywhere from $103 billion to $160 billion annually into the federal system. Um, I'm going to end the, my overview on Daniel Miller with a, a great point that he makes uh, in the book. And here um, in this chapter, on page 67, our case to the people of Texas. If you imagine for a moment that Texas, or frankly any state, was currently in a self-governing, independent nation in every aspect of the word. We had our own monetary system, control of our own immigration and border policy, our own military, our own defense policy, our own passports, even had our own Olympic team. And instead of talking about Texas, we were talking about whether or not our self-governing independent nation should join the United States. Knowing what we know about those 180,000 pages of federal laws, rules and regulations, and the two and a half million unelected bureaucrats and everything, knowing what we know about the federal government, would you vote to join the union today? That's a damn good question. I think I'd be a no on that. <laughs> See some head nods here. Uh, and then chapter seven is the last one. And then I'm going to turn it over to the rest of the folks here. Uh, this is with somebody else I was not familiar with at all. Kirkpatrick Sale. Um, it's called a progressive for secession. Uh, maybe Marcus can talk about this later. You nodded, you're nodded your head. So, um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know the name. So this is from episode two sixty one, uh, from the Tom Wood Show. Uh, it's October twenty fourteen was the recording. It was published in November twenty fourteen. Uh, this is the hardest one to find. This is a long time ago, uh, and it's really interesting. Um, I did finally find it, and I'm going to post it in the show notes on the TomWoods.com website. 
if you go way back, he's got MP3 downloads of old episodes. So this is going back to Tom Woods show 2014, episode 261. It was interesting because I haven't seen any Tom Woods shows from that. I didn't know who he was then. Um, probably a lot of us didn't. Uh, Tom Woods, if you know, he passed show 2000 recently. I went to his event, his event in Orlando. That was a, that was a good time. A lot of Liberty people there. Um, get to sit and chat with Michael Bolden of the 10th Amendment Center. Um, that's a good that's a good place to go. I don't know how many free state project people that are there, Stephen, but there was a bunch. Uh, Carla was there, talked to her. And anyway, uh, you can download this. I'm going to put the link to where that is on the website for people who want the audio version. So Kirkpatrick says, um, people who believe in a flat earth believe that there's a left over there and a right over there. And that's how they categorize everybody. But people who know there is a round earth understand that up at the top, there are authoritarians, whether they be Stalinists on the left or Nazis on the right. And then down on the bottom, there are the anti-authoritarians, libertarians, anarchists, all the freedom loving people together on the bottom. Uh, for Marcus's benefit, I would throw in a lot of the 60s progressives, the, the, the anti-war power to the people folks like they're kind of on that other list, I think. So there is no left or right. It's essentially freedom or no freedom, authority or no authority. He also says uh, the progressives, this is this is some of the modern day left progressive. I don't know what, I don't know if these labels all have so many different meanings, but I, I know what he means here. He's talking about today. Those progressives have never met a government they didn't like, never met a large government that they didn't like. They brought on the crisis that we face today. Uh, that's a good one. And this is, this is from a, progressive left 60s guy uh when tom woods asked him i don't know if i have this highlighted but tom Woods asked him about progressivism like because he he argues like well secession is a progressive thing he brings up power to the people remember that um what happened to that i don't think progressives believe that anymore the mainstream washington dc left authoritarian progressives no longer believe in power to the people the last thing they want is a referendum to vote on secession. Like they want everybody. That's how I see it. Um, again, back to the book. So uh, Kirkpatrick says, or Kirk, he goes by Kirk sale says they are against secession in a knee jerk patriotic way that has never really been examined by most of the people. Uh, this, this describes a lot of right Christian conservative Republican Patriot Liberty flag waivers, uh, Pledge of Allegiance. If you don't take your hat off when I'm saying the Pledge of Allegiance, I'm going to punch you in the face or at least get angry. Um, then they declare it illegal without having any grounds for that, unconstitutional, when it does not appear in the Constitution. That's true. Among And among those crazy people who thought that living on a smaller scale might be better were the founding fathers, including James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, the idea lives inherent in the founding of this nation because, after all, we had just seceded from Great Britain. Um, this is an interesting chapter. So, yeah, I think we'll, uh, we'll have Marcus maybe talk a little more about him. Uh, Sal says, I don't think it's the business of any government to go around establishing justice for other people. In fact, defining what justice is and then forcing it down the throats, that's exactly what's wrong. The cost of forcing federal ideas on people is very high. Uh, and I have one more I starred here. It's again, it's on the Civil War. People will always say that the Civil War proved that you can't do that. What the Civil War proved 
was that when one half of the country with a great deal of power and money wanted to destroy the other half of the country, it could use a lot of force if it wanted to do so and win a war. It doesn't prove anything about secession whatsoever. Secession is obvious. It was obvious then and it's obvious now. All right, I'm going to end there and uh, stop talking for a while. Um, I'll just go in order here. Or Marcus, you're you're unmuted, so why don't you go first? I don't I don't want to like uh, you know get any okay. Uh, All right, Alex, you want to go first? <laughs> ladies first. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, well, like this, I I was part of the Texit um, book club. So this wasn't my first time reading about secession and everything. And my um, my issue always is that if I, I if I look at it like a relationship, like an interpersonal relationship, if one partner in that relationship says, I don't want to be part of this relationship anymore, and the other person says, no, you can't do that, we all know that's wrong. So to me, I'm sort of like, it's pretty common sense that uh, – groups of people, if they agree that they no longer want to be part of this big relationship, that they should be able to walk away without suffering violence, especially. Uh, now, when it comes to um, referendum on that, I, I think, honestly, I think that states should be regularly asking their citizens, do you want to keep remain part of this relationship? I think that should be Part of the election cycle, honestly, is that that should be on the ballot on a regular basis for everyone, uh, because you don't know that 20 years down the line, the majority of people aren't going to change their minds. So uh, I definitely and, and also that would make it more like something people actually think about, you know, as opposed to just automatically we're part of this relationship It put that leaving it off the ballot all the time makes it part of this status quo bias in most people's minds. Whereas if you put it on there, they would at least think about it a little bit and that would be better. Uh, now, when it comes to actually leaving, I'm not worried about violence, actual force. What I am worried about is the three letter agencies doing some underhanded economic moves to sabotage people um, or, you know, even social moves to sabotage people. Uh, people trying to leave. That's my actual worry. I'm not worried about actual violence. Agree with everything. That was great. Especially the last part. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that was fantastic. That was a perfect summary. I think that that's, and it's very interesting how what you said initially, Alex, is very important in the sense of if, if, politics is downstream from culture, then that should be part of the civic education. I mean, that should just be common sense. I mean, common sense, sadly, is not common at all. Sadly, it's not, no. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, common sense is far too uncommon. Well, and, and here's another thing about this idea of having, you know, been listening to uh, Liberty Classroom and, you know, learning a lot of stuff from Brian, Brian McClanahan and Tom Woods and so many other good people. This idea of the one thing that separates us from all animals is, all other animals, is reason, our ability to reason. Now, I'm a very emotional person. I'm an actor, you know, so I get I can be very emotional, and I'm very emotional most of the time anyway. But even Aristotle, and back then, you know, the tradition has come down, the continuity that 
Ideally, the best situation is everything should be tempered by reason, objective reason. And objective reason is absolutely consistent with the principles of liberty, with all the best parts of any religion, right? I mean, the stuff, there's no conflict here. I don't see why people get so, no, that if you, if you really think that the, from the true rational, the most rational foundation of everything, whether it's liberty, this is why I, I could replace the word God with liberty. For me, it's the same thing. It's just a word, right? If you truly understand the principles behind it, right? and that all goes back to civic education and this idea of, look, I am resp I'm personal responsibility. I'm responsible for myself. I don't want to be, and I want. I don't want anybody to be responsible for me. I'm responsible for myself, and and it's very interesting. I've written about this. I, I don't. I don't know if, if Keith, if you've had time to read anything that I've written, but I've written about this. This idea of, I don't agree that the word selfless should exist because no one is truly selfless, right? Everybody is absolutely selfish, but there are only two ways to be selfish: either ethically correctly or inethically incorrectly. Right? Because everything I do is for me, but I do it in such a way as to help you help. It's Jerry Maguire. Help me help you. Help me help you. You know, it's, it's so simple. It's collaboration. It's true collaboration. And so like, uh, like Rabbi uh, Stephen, you said in the earlier um, video that, that I watched before that I, I, you know, I saw this idea of we should be sitting down and discussing all of this stuff objectively precisely because we hate each other. <laughs> How can I help you leave me? I don't want you near me. You don't want me near you. So how can we help each other get the hell out away from each other? It just seems so obvious. It's, it's obvious to, to people who are thinking peace. Um, seems like it should be. I don't know if it's obvious to all people, but that's how I look at it. Like, it seems obvious. Well, that, and you, you mentioned a good point. It's obvious to people who are thinking. Most people don't think. <laughs> I didn't feel. need to qualify. They just feel. Everything is feelings. Oh, I believe my truth. No, there's only truth. There's no my truth, your truth. There's only objective truth. History proves this unequivocally. You're definitely right about feelings with American elections. And definitely go back to uh, 2000 with George W. Bush versus John Kerry. And the election was decided because they had a picture of John Kerry windsurfing. And Americans felt that doesn't reflect the real president. So that was how they got over the past. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. You can go back historical fact and look at that campaign. Well, so, I mean, it was all emotion. Exactly. And it's a similar thing. There was another guy, Dean somebody. I forget his name. Do you remember him? And everybody seemed, not everybody, but a lot of people seemed to be supporting him until all of a sudden he was at a rally and all he did was woohoo! And suddenly his reputation was in the tank. Why? What's the objective reasoning behind that? There is none. I, yeah, England's not much better. Um, we are pretty bad here in America, but I remember in England they had a prime minister's election and it came down to, they had a picture of one of the prime ministers shoving a sandwich in his mouth in an inartful manner. And that was, oh, no, can't vote for him. He's out. We're going with Cameron. So uh, it's, it's, the U.S. is pretty bad. It's not just alone.
I also wanted to say, Alex. It's the world for sure. It's the world. I'm here in Brazil, and it's the same stupidity, the same hypocrisy. It's, same yeah, and it's definitely an issue. It's definitely an issue. Um, I also want to say, Alex, I love what you said about you know a divorce. We know that it's wrong. Uh, that's something that we have gone to with Calex from the very beginning. Uh, back 2017, 2018, we had a picture of a heart that was broken. And then on one side, we put California. On the other side, we put the USA. And we said, divorce due to irreconcilable differences. That was one of our largest campaign messagings ever. Uh, people get it. They immediately get the analogy you're talking about, Alex. And they get it in a way they go, yeah, that, that that is just wrong. Like, I don't need to think about the political ramifications. I don't need to understand uh, international law going back to World War II. I just know that doesn't feel right to be able to tell somebody I get to abuse you and you can never leave me. Yeah, when you take it down to the personal level, which helps a lot of people understand it, uh, if, if you can't think about it at the abstract, think about it as two people. A, an easy way to do it is to think about a couple. If you know, uh, typically it's, if it's physical, it's more often the man is abusing the woman physically. Um, and if the man threatens her that I'm going to kill you, I'm going to beat you if you leave. If you're friends with the woman, you help her leave, right? That's that's how you handle that. Um, you don't lock the two of them in a room and, and let them duke it out for the rest of their life. Like that's not the peaceful approach. Um, so taking that analogy and then raising it up to 320 million people, uh, it's it's a mental jump, but as uh, JG brought up, to use your rational mind, you should be able to, to take that concept and move it to what looks abstract to most people. But Right, and, and what's, what's interesting is if you think about, as I mentioned before, this idea that no one's truly selfless, then it should be automatically, well, what if it were me? I wouldn't want to be in that situation. You would think that would be obvious. Yeah, a lot of people have a hard time with the word selfish. Um, but the thing is, though, is that human beings are rationally and emotionally self-interested individuals. There's no way around that. Even, Absolutely. Like, even in performing altruism, you are doing it because it makes you feel good, usually. So exactly. everything is rational and emotional self-interest. So it should be completely okay to act on those things when they're when you're not hurting anyone else to do it. Like it, it should not be a problem to act on rational self-interest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this has been something that's been talked about, I would say all the way through the ancient Greeks <laughs> throughout history. Right. So, but it's all done in a way that is conscientious or not. There are only two ways to do it. Either you do it conscientiously you know, help me help you reciprocal solidarity, this, you know, truly this type of thing, you know, I want to benefit, but I'm going to help you benefit me so I can benefit you and back and forth, or you don't, or it's oppressive. That's why I learned the, the phrases in this, um, this PDF that I got from TomWoods.com, the voluntarist handbook, I forget who the author is of that, but he just put down like 300 uh, essays from hundreds of different, of different people. And he talked about some, I forget which essay talked about the terms voluntarist and coercivist. That's it. There, there are only two possibilities. Either you're voluntarist and you're conscientious, truly, or you're coercivist and you're not conscientious. You're just conscious. You're just truly, you know, that's it. Every human being is some 
range of that. And I would argue, I've written about this as well, I would argue that the first step to, to, to deciding which of those you are, which, you know, whatever, is admitting that every single one of us, you, me, every single one of us who has ever lived, every single one who's living now, every single person who will is, is by default, and this connects with religion as well, by default, a hypocrite and a coward. The first step is admitting that, and then every day conscientiously trying to not let that control you. That's it. That's the only difference between any two people. The the voluntarist approach is a is a is a great one. Um, oh, the book the book by the way that's uh, Keith Knight wrote the the voluntarist handbook, and he kind of modeled it after Michael Malice's the uh, his anarchist handbook. Um, that style. Um, he's uh, oh Stephen by the way he Keith Knight is going to uh, do a talk at Porkfest this year, so uh, I think it'll be interesting. I wasn't familiar with him until that book came out, but. Um, so he, he's looking at it from the the word voluntarist, which is it's a it's a useful word for people that are emotionally triggered by the word anarchist, but it sort of means the same thing. Um, it's yeah. saying that the interactions are voluntary, that all interactions should be voluntary. Well, and it's funny how how voluntarist is actually a synonym for selfish, but selfish in a conscientious way. I would say, right? Yeah. Because obviously, and, if we negotiate, both of us are winning. Otherwise, we wouldn't negotiate. Selfishness is an interesting word. It's a red flag word to to watch for people. When people say, oh, you're being selfish. I, most of the time when people say that to me, I want to say, yes. yeah, yes, of course. Yes, but, but the <laughs> and you're being I, selfish by accusing me of that. Right, right. And here's another thing. This is the difference I, I mentioned that I wrote about, and I'm not the first one. This is not an original idea. But, but my point is, yes, I'm selfish, but I try to conscientiously do be so in a conscientious way. How can I help you help me? That's the and, difference. And that's the only difference. That's what voluntarist is. That's what free yes. trade's about, is that yes. to get some benefit. As uh, you brought up, Alex, I think several people have thought Alex brought it up that you, you get a feeling of something good. You also get something out of the relationship. So, well, yeah, I mean, a marriage is a, in the end is a voluntarist position. It's supposed ideally, to go both ways, right? Yes, ideally it's, it's a trade. And, and everything in the relationship is essentially a commodity. Sex is a commodity. Prostitution proves this. Okay. Everything is some sort of objective commodity, whether it's my time, my energy, and it's all a matter of valuing it conscientiously or not. Well, I, I kind of want to bring up the, the marriage thing again, because um, there is there is an issue right now, like divorce rates in the United States are extremely high um, yeah, or, or people are not getting married at all, even though they're still having children. And a big part of the problem is that people are not viewing marriage as reciprocal anymore. It's more like, what are you going to give me? Um, and I, I would say that the women are more uh, likely to not give as they are to demand uh, from their husbands, honestly, um, and that they are the ones initiating the divorces. And so I feel like that's the problem is that a lot of people think that, oh, you have to give me stuff. And it's like, no, it does have to be reciprocal. If it's not reciprocal, then it's not working. And for some reason, a lot of Americans treat the federal government like their abusive spouse who has beaten them down. And it's like, that, like what? Grow a backbone and leave this abusive spouse is my thought. And I, I think it's important. I don't want to do too much pop culture, but it doesn't have to be 
one side's the abuser and the other side's just being abused all the time and it's one-sided i mean certainly that's easy for analogy for our purposes but uh just to take an example i think we everybody watched the johnny depp amber heard uh thing those people beat the hell out of each other i mean that was just a toxic not productive relationship and so you don't necessarily have like a clear this one's all bad this one's all good but it's still the same conclusion that relationship did not work for either one of them it wasn't healthy for either one of them and the more that they were in contact with each other the more they kept spiraling down into this toxic situation uh, a lot of times with secession they they look for something extreme like did the larger government try to kill off your ethnic group and i don't think we have to always go that extreme i think we can go to where uh, we just don't get along or function very well. It's not really a relationship based upon trust. We don't trust each other. We don't have the same values. And we uh, occasionally pick at each other. Why do we have to stay in that unhappy, although less than physically abusive marriage either? I think we've seen that these toxic relationships are not productive for anyone and that the separation is healthy for both parties. Well, look at the same thing here with uh, divorce and secession. Thank you, bro. Um, in, in, in America, and we do not have unity in America. That's what people ask me all the time. You've been with CalExit. Why are you still with it? It hasn't happened. You've been doing this for 10 years. And I say, the reason I have quit after 10 years is it gets better every year. We were promised that America's gonna realize Trump's bad, everybody's gonna come out of it, they're all gonna apologize, and, and Joe Biden is going to bring everybody together with the quote, calming moment. Remember, go back a few years, go back two years. This is what they were saying before the election. You know, Trump versus, oh, we're gonna get rid of Trump, people are gonna realize they made a mistake, uh, he's not the real America. They'll kind of come to their senses. Everybody's going to get unified. Republicans are going to work with Joe Biden. There'll be a national calm. Two years later, all that didn't happen. And that was the decent America, the soul of the nation who was going to save us. And it all failed. And there is no backup plan. There is no politician in the wings going, well, I'll be the second unifier, Joe Biden. No one's talking like that. My favorite example is you look at the abortion debate. And I kept reading a bunch of liberal articles. I'm a progressive. I'll call myself a liberal. And they said, we need, we liberals need to get out there and convince these other people uh, who aren't for our take on abortion that uh, they need to support us. And we just need to form a coalition. And then we can uh, get abortion rights back. And I go, great. Hey, liberals, I'm a liberal. I know a bunch of conservatives who love guns, love Jesus, think the woman's place is more in the kitchen, and they like a 1950s traditional role, and they're not big on immigration or speaking foreign languages, but they do believe in a woman's right to choose. Are you ready to work with them and form a coalition like you just said? Hell no, I don't want to touch those people at all. I thought you just said abortion was the number one issue and forming a coalition was the number one issue. Yeah, but not with those people. It, it turns out it's years not. Years later, how are we going to bring this together? The, really, the, I mean, if, some, if I'm wrong, somebody correct me. 
show me where somebody's bringing us together. Somebody's going like AOC is going, hey, maybe I was a little extreme. Let's come, you know, we should work it. Show me where anybody's backing down on either side at all, or anybody has any sort of concept about how to bring this country back together at all. I'm not convinced that the people that they're putting in the White House, that the Americans have put in the White House, are even trying. It's they say they they're are, not. They're but not. they're it's a uniparty. It's a it's a uniparty. They're they're going back and forth. So it's these two things. It's it's a whack-a-mole thing. Like okay, the Republicans are bad. The Republicans are really bad on this, 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 and this. We better get rid of them and put the Democrats in. Okay. The Democrats, they're really bad on this, 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 and this. You better bang it's, them down. Let's get the Republicans in. Like the problem is, it's just it's those the two same things. thing. It's the same thing here in Brazil. In the United States, you have a Republican Democrat. Here you have like 35 parties, and they're all the same freaking thing. <laughs> 35 are the same. Yes. It's insane. <laughs> it's literally yeah, seen, insane. It's the same little... BS. It's the same BS. Lula, Bolsonaro, they're both morons. They're both clowns. Now, Bolsonaro is less stupid, less of an idiot. Less of a you know dictator, okay, but I don't want less. I don't want it at all. Don't really want people voting for the the least worst. Yes, what we're why, usually why faced we with. To, why do we have to choose this lesser of two evils? They're both evil. Does nobody get that concept? They're both evil. So they want to ask Stephen a question. I think he's been raising his hand. So you're muted, Stephen. I don't know if you've uh... okay. So yeah, what, what's your take on this book? And for people who are not familiar, I'd just say Stephen is the founder, president maybe of uh, Americans United for Peaceful Separation. So he's bringing together all these different uh, the groups, uh, which is a really interesting perspective. And that's a new one. And it's awesome to have somebody from Brazil secession movement here. Like we, we, let's expand this internationally. We all know about Brexit, Scotland trying to leave, uh, Crimea is a big one now, and the Donbass region. Um, we see the whole Eastern Bloc countries seceding. I mentioned Namibia seceding from South Africa when uh, Nelson Mandela and the ANC took over. Like, there's secessions going over all over the world. It's not just the United States. Well, and, and, I, so and I Stephen, disagree with people. I disagree with people when they say, oh, no, no, you're American. I'm Brazilian. No, we're both Americans. I'm North American. You're South American. Okay, <laughs> South this American. is so stupid. Why do we why do we differentiate this? I'm Washingtonian if you want to get all correct. Yeah. Right? So I'm Steve, Washington State. Yeah. So Stephen, you got the floor. Yeah, I just want to make a couple of comments. I want to go back to Alex and her abusive relationship because what has to be emphasized so much about that is when you counsel the woman to leave and she says, but I can't, nobody stops with that. So what? Therefore I should stay and be beaten up? No. You have to leave to save your life. All of these chapters and books about how we're going to do it to me are a total waste of time. You have to leave or you're going to be dead. Now we will deal with it. And I have this argument many times, but, 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 but you have to leave. That's the given. So I just want to emphasize, I totally agree with Alex on that. Um, Alex, I love your idea about what I'm just going to call a sunset clause, which you're calling every few years, put it on the ballot. I love that idea. Um, I disagree with how Texas um, words it, but I'll leave that for the moment. I want to address the selfishness issue since we're a book club. First time I've been invited to a book club. Anybody who has not yet read Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, stop what you're doing right now and read it. He's the one who addresses how do you deal with the innate selfishness and self-interest of other people and get what you want, which gets me back to um, several other points, and then I'll give you back the floor. 
I don't understand why anybody writes a book talking about the right for independence. It's all there in three words, Declaration of Independence. I don't recall them writing a book about it. I recall them saying it's a God-given right to leave. Um, one quote that I don't think you mentioned from the book, which I loved, since obviously it agrees with me, which is why I love it. I believe he's quoting John Quincy Adams. Far better will it be for the people of the disunited states to part in friendship from each other than to be held together by constraint. So Marcus, my dear friend, colleague, and brother from another mother, who said, who's trying to bring us together? Americans united, united for peaceful separation. That's exactly that quote. I'm trying to bring you together so that we can peacefully divorce and continue to love each other rather than the second quote, and I don't remember who said this in the book, it's pointless and stupid and evil to try to force them to live under the same set of rules together. So that, that's basically what I want to say. I'll give you back the floor. Just to back you guys all up as a liberal, hanging out with, I'll say non-liberals. <laughs> okay, keep it. Uh, learned a lot, learned a lot about secession and the original American arguments. And they had the phrase, we want to leave England yeah, because of these um, impositions that we're not happy about. I mean, let's remember the English were not enslaving the American citizens. They were mistreating them in certain capacities, but there were a lot of specific policy issues. But really what it came down to in the Declaration of Independence or some other key document was they said, we want to leave because we, can think, we think we can do better. It says in pursuit of a more perfect union, that more per in pursuit of a more perfect union, not that your union sucks, but it's horrible, but we just frankly think we can do better. And the fact that we can do better and provide a better quality for our life for ourselves is all the justification that we need to leave your entire government and form our own. It's literally in there. And we're looking at selfishness. I would back that up. What does the pursuit of happiness mean? I mean, they were looking at uh, retention of property. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That was intentionally scripted that way. The, the way they use in the pursuit of happiness, the primary point there is that the government doesn't get to define what happiness is and yes. what you have to do to pursue it. Like right. and originally the pursuit of happiness is an individual. That's a that's a value judgment. That's an individual position. And a government, you know, a committee can't decide what happiness is. That doesn't work. The government mm -hmm. is just a big committee. Um, I just want to make the point the you know, when Marcus brought up the um, more perfect union, that's the Constitution. So the Declaration is a uh, it's not a founding document, as Brian McConaughey points out in his chapter. I don't think I quoted that one, but that's another great one. I'm paraphrasing, but he says the Declaration of Independence is not a founding document. It's a defounding document. It's a secessionist. Mm -hmm. It's it's making a secession. So, no, the Declaration of Independence says nothing about a more perfect union. That's not what it is. It's 13 states together announcing to the world that the 13 states are leaving England or seceding. Right. And, you know, it's not uh, often talked about, but a lot of the states had already seceded from England, like mm -hmm. before July 4th. They didn't. There's only a couple of them actually seceded with the Declaration. Most of them, I think, as most had already left. Virginia's was in May or April. Um, 
they, they became 13 independent sovereign nations and they listed their grievances as Marcus brought up. There's 27 grievances. Um, it's that they are announcing to the world why they're leaving. Somebody in chat, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about Scotland. Um, Scotland has been trying to secede from the UK since before the EU, right? <laughs> um, long decades and decades. Uh, they're still trying. Uh, they'll probably, seems like they'll eventually will succeed, secede and succeed, succeed and secede. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for doing so. Somebody brought up, uh, they have woke left policies. I, I don't know enough about Scotland to say, I mean, all the Scottish people I know are, are Americans and they're hardcore. They, I guess their ancestors came here for the reasons that America was founded. So they're not the woke. I don't know the woke Scottish type, um, even though they do walk around in skirts. I'll leave that aside for now. Um, the Scotland, whether it's the woke policies or some other policy, that's still a reason to secede. Somebody had noted in chat that the EU doesn't want Scotland. I didn't know that. Um, mm. I'd be interesting to look into. I don't know if that's true or they just said that. I forget who said it. But it doesn't matter um, because if the EU does or doesn't want them, if the EU doesn't want it, overall, it's probably some do, some won't, like everything else. Uh, that's better because when Scotland announces they're leaving the un they're leaving the UK, they're leaving the state of England, uh, they announce it to the world, just like the Declaration of independence does. Um, as it says, I have I have my little handy copy here. Um, Indecent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Uh, that's a great that's a great line. Well, I have this out. I'll just read one more quote, uh, which is helps people understand what the Declaration of Independence is. It says that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends. It is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem the most likely to affect their safety and happiness. That's basically what they talk about when they say rights, that the reason governments are formed is to secure rights and the only legitimate government is there to secure individual rights. That's the only legitimate government there is and if that's not what the government is doing then the people have the right to alter or abolish it uh, that's why brian mcclanahan in a you know, one sentence thing he says it's a defounding document it's true i present the argument often i'm curious what other people would say to this that people that are and it's often it's to patriots conservative republican christian patriot types um, you would have been on the king's side in 1776. Like everything you're saying tells me you would have been thinking about moving to Nova Scotia or the Bahamas or back to London. Like you're on the king's side, back the blue pledge of allegiance, union forever, better together, the whole, the whole thing. Uh, that's not Thomas Jefferson's point. He, somebody brought it up. I forget who in the book, but he it brings up like Thomas Jefferson thought of this in a completely utilitarian manner like yeah let's start a union we'll have a constitution i uh, was the articles of confederation during the the war uh then the constitution and we'll see how this works out um if it doesn't work out we'll do something different maybe we really should be three there was a lot of talk in you know in, in the 1780s and 90s when they were 
ratifying, you know, the whole ratifying conventions that uh, this might not work. We're going to try this 13 thing. And if this doesn't work, um, we could easily probably two or maybe three. There's a lot of talk about two. Um, there's a lot of talk in the late 1700s, early 1800s about New England leaving. Um, they almost did in the War of 1812. Uh, they wanted to go back. to. There were states, Massachusetts, I think they were talking about going back to being a member of the UK, joining back in with England. Uh, it, it almost happened. There was referendums going on. Um, it could have happened in like 1812, seven. Yeah, 1812. So anyway, I want to just bring up that point, and it's in the book in a couple places. People bring it up. The Declaration of Independence is the 13 states. And I'll end that with a, a quote from the end that I always like to bring up. Um, they talk about separating from the state of Great Britain. So they say these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. That's plural. 13. They talk about them and that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them, them is the word, and the state of Great Britain. So the word state in the constitution, in the Declaration of Independence, uh, England's a state, France is a state, Virginia's a state, South Carolina's a state. Uh, there's no distinguishing between that. We still call the state department, the state department. Um, it's the department of state. And, the, the Treaty of Paris is 13 separate treaties. Um, when, when the war ended, there was 13 separate independent sovereign nations had an agreement with the state of England to, to end the war. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it with that when we talk about the Declaration of Independence. This really is the whole point of, of this secession thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious what other people say about the concept that a lot of people that are against secession, uh, they would have been on the side of the king in 1791. That's a great point. I, If I may, one of my, my favorite Jefferson quotes was the one where he said, uh, there should be a Pacific Republic separate from America. He wrote that, I believe, after he was president. And what he said was that if America ever gets to the Pacific coast, it would be too large to be governable and that it would be better that the people on the Pacific coast break off from America and form a separate government from America that could be called a Pacific Republic. They would not be Americans, but they would share kinship. So Jefferson himself was talking about how there shouldn't, the Pacific should not be part of America and it should secede and form a separate union in there. I also wanted to point out that with this book, with Tom Woods, my special message, Keith, I wanted to say thank you for letting me come on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, we are the liberals in the discussion on the secession space here in America. Um, thank you so much for having us on. That, this book by Tom Woods, you know, a lot of the people talk about CalExit and have endorsed it. So um, I'm not sure if they're in the book exactly, but you mentioned Michael Bolden. Uh, I've met Michael Bolden personally. I did an interview with him on video. He endorsed CalExit. He talked about Michael Malice. Michael Malice has written an article saying America would be better off without California. Uh, Brian McClanahan uh, for Mises has also written an article saying the exact same thing as Michael Malice. We'd be better off without California. 
uh, F.H. Buckley, who's mentioned in this book. I've done an interview with personally, and I've read his book. He specifically says in his book that the most likely candidate for secession is California. And I did the interview with him. Also, Jeff Deist did an interview with Jeff Deist. And Jeff Deist, in Tom Wood's book, directly mentions me and says, Cal Exit, very likely. And their argument is, hey, America, you probably want to get rid of us. And that is our argument. And Jeff Deist did that. Also, Daniel Miller. Have a lot of extensive contacts with Daniel Miller. And Daniel Miller is admitted he still thinks Texas is going to happen first, but he says, I'll admit it'll be either Texas or California. You know, one of the two, but he's pushing for Texas. I get it. He says, you know. Uh, finally, Tom Woods, please have me on. Please interview me. In your book, you mentioned Kirkpatrick Sale. He's dead. You have no other liberal progressive secessionists at all in your book. By the way, I was just featured in a Warner Brothers eight-part documentary. I'm the most well-known liberal progressive secessionist in America, period. Been on Comedy Central, interviewed by Fox News four times, covered by Washington Post and New York Times. There is no other liberal progressive secessionist in America anywhere close to my recognition. And I noticed the last guy you interviewed is dead. So maybe interview a living liberal secessionist and have that in your book. By the way, I've tried to reach out to you a couple of times. Please, let's talk because you have nobody on the side as part of the conversation. And maybe if you're trying to get this to be a national topic, having a couple of liberals who are living could help. I'll leave it there. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, maybe you should come come to Porkfest and maybe you can talk to Tom or or go to go to one of his things. I'm. I'll try. Does does he know? He knows you, right? Does he know you, Marcus. I, I would. You're in the book. That every single name mentioned in that book, half of them for sure have been reached out to, and they all ignore any request to talk to anybody in any way related to actually doing something. I think um, that says something. It right? says, it, well, I don't yeah. want to get into it, but it says a lot. You know, I guess I'm representing New Hampshire here. New Hampshire had the hearing. I think it was last March on the constitutional amendment to get a referendum for secession. There were 13 very brave state representatives of New Hampshire who voted for it. Lots of hullabaloo, but I didn't see anybody, not Tom Woods, not Michael Malice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, at that hearing. And what was so interesting at the hearing was the representatives from New Hampshire saying, we're a laughing stock of the country for even proposing this. And I kept saying, gee, you would have been less of a laughing stock if all these book writers would be here instead of making money selling books. So I personally reached out to several. I've reached out to several people in the Claremont Institute who wrote about secession. But to my knowledge, they refused to talk to anyone doing anything about it. They let them all hang out to dry and then they write and sell more books and do more podcasts. So yeah. I'll just leave it I have, a similar, I have a similar experience here I, in Brazil. It's the same thing. The people who are actual movers and shakers talk, but they don't do. I, you know, I wonder if I'm going to eventually fall under your your axe there, Stephen, with that, because I am just talking. Uh, I'm not particularly interested in politics. I don't like the idea of going to Tallahassee and trying to argue with the government. Um, so, so I think what I'm trying to do is. Well, Keith, let me interrupt I you mean, for a second, Keith, if I may. 
if you would have been at the New Hampshire hearing, and but even by Zoom, and Marcus would have been at the New Hampshire hearing, and Tom Woods would have been there, and Michael Malice would have been there, and Michael Bolden would have been there, no one would have dared say we're the laughing stock of the country. We're just a bunch of hippie freak libertarians fighting for this. So when I say about doing things, that's what I mean. And nobody's doing anything with the people actually doing it. New Hampshire went further, I believe, legislatively, constitutionally, than any state has done in 150 years. And nobody was there. I, yeah, I would have. Um, please let me know if, if you think you know, at my level, I could influence that. I would certainly make a talk over Zoom. My understanding is that, when was that, in April? I believe or, it was March 13th, but I may be making up that date. March. Well, I paid, I don't mean to bust your boat, but I live in South Florida. I'm not going to New Hampshire in March. Like, but crazy. And by the <laughs> way, even writing a letter to the legislature so that they can't say it's just a bunch of hippies in New Hampshire. And, You're totally and right. That's what I said. And the same thing in California, they're just a bunch of crazy liberals. And the same thing in Texas, they're a bunch of crazy conservatives. And if everybody would stand together when each of these things happened, when Kyle Biederman stood alone as a state rep in, New in Texas trying to get his thing done, where were all those authors? To my knowledge, none of them were there testifying in Texas, not by Zoom, not writing letters, not anything. And, and Michael thing, Malice you know, lives in Texas. Michael Malice yeah. lives in Texas. He does now. He, he left yes. New York City. When well, are you going to move to Texas? <laughs> when? Even though he says, he, he, he said in the last show, I've been looking for the, the Malice episode. I listened to a bunch of him talking about secession. Um, you know, he admits that he's, he, he disagrees with the concept that living in Austin, a background Michael gave up on New York City and the COVID thing, and he moved to Austin, um, which is the California of Texas, is the kind of nickname. Um, but he says it's not like California. It's just got a lot of that sort of thing. It is a left-leaning, bigger city. Um, but he, you know, Michael Malice doesn't think that Austin will completely empty out when Texas secedes. And he's an Austin resident now that's totally in favor of secession. Um, I, I think with the authors, I just want to, you know, since Stephen, Stephen stopped me before I finished my point, and now I've mostly forgotten my point. But um, I would certainly go by Zoom in March. Uh, if you had it in, in June, I would go to the meeting. Uh, I spent two weeks in New Hampshire this year. I'm going to Porkfest. Uh, maybe they'll let me talk again. I did. So, no, I'm not a, I'm not a New Hampshire citizen, um, and I'm not ready to move to New Hampshire. But... Um, I did a talk at Porkfest in the Liberty Classroom called uh, Secession 101. Like, and I talked to three different state legislatures at Porkfest, legislators at Porkfest, two of which said they would come on Rebel Civics and talk about the New Hampshire movement. So I, I would do that if that if you think that helps. Um, I'm just saying the I would love to do that. The public appearance of people from other states for each of the states trying to do something is to me what gives it some oomph. Absolutely. I'll, I'll work on more of that. I love this whole thing you're doing with the the uh, Americans United for Peaceful Separation and and the United for people who see that big U and get triggered by that. They're not talking about the U in the Union that 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 the American Union of fifty is a God created sanctimonious thing that's in the Bible or something and and it can't be changed. That's not the United. It's United for Peaceful Separation. 
is Stevens Group. That's important. Um, the going to you know somebody from Florida, uh, which includes Tom Woods. Tom Tom lives about two hours from me. Um, him going to New Hampshire to go to a state event is probably never going to happen. But you might be able to get him to go by Zoom. Um, I'll drop Marcus's name. I'm going to his event in a couple of weeks, his school of life event, uh, in Orlando. Um, I got, I'm going to that. Um, yeah, I've talked to Tom. I've met him four times personally, maybe. Uh, I think he would talk to Marcus, I think, but, but getting on Tom's show, I'll just say, you know, I've been at pork fest twice now. Everybody at pork fest has a podcast and everybody would love to be on Tom Wood's show. So I think Tom probably can't handle everybody that wants to be on his show. Um, but I don't know if he met you, Marcus. Uh, Fair. He did, he did do that interview, but he, you know, he's his show guests are a, a, a pretty. Not to say you're not big. You are big. You're bigger than big guy. Way sure. more going on than me as far as the legislature view goes. But you know, you look back at Tom's recent guests. He's you know Michael Malice, Dave Smith, um, Jeffrey Diced. Uh, that, that's the that's where Tom's at. So sure, I don't expect to get on Tom's show. Um, well, but that's kind of a problem uh, right now about um, internet podcasts in general is that the, everyone wants to get a bigger get than they are. They don't want to help anyone with a leg up, unfortunately. And it's like, no, we all should be helping someone with a leg up, honestly, because uh, it's that mm -hmm. that will trickle up for everyone. Um, and it's kind of a problem right now. If I could make a point, Alex, to add to your point. There's a reason why a lot of people don't want secession, because if I have a national podcast and there's a secession, guess what? It's not going to be a national podcast. It's just like governors will never be pro, pro secession because they all want to be president of the United States. You have people like, I hate mentioning names, but Daniel Horowitz, who has a very large podcast, who said, quote, two years ago, if you're not talking about secession, you're wasting your time. But guess what? He doesn't do anything about secession. You have Glenn Beck, who has mentioned several times at least considering it, but he's not doing anything about secession. Why would anybody give up their nine-figure salary for doing their podcasts and shows for 50 different states when they can be national? And I think it's a very big problem. A lot Again, I don't want to mention names, but a lot of these people only want the big national names. Well, guess what? That only works in a big nation. So they may talk all day about secession and splitting up into smaller entities and returning freedom back to smaller entities, but none of them are going to give up their national clout. That's just my cynical opinion. I would say that a lot of them, like once they are successful, status quo bias kicks in because they're, they're comfortable in the status quo at that point. So they're not going to, they're going to give it up. Right. And um, Alex, I agree with them. Then they shouldn't talk about secession. That, that's yeah. the point. Then don't talk about it. I agree. Once yeah. they're big, what I call they cross the muckety-muck line, but then don't talk about it. Admit that you want a tremendously powerful government so that you can get the really big people, the really big interviews, whatever whatever that means. I, so without, yeah, you, you're doing that without naming names. Uh, yeah. I, I'll just say, I don't know, am I defending Tom Woods by saying that that ain't Tom? <laughs> like That's definitely not Tom. I'll just leave it at that. Keith, you're um, the one who just said he only wants the big names. We didn't say that. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that he only wants. I said that that's who 
goes on his show. I'm not asking to get on Tom Wood's show. I would like to have Tom on my show, but I don't think I would ask him that. Um, I'll sit here and wait for the request to, to appear to roll in. So far, I think Marcus is the only one that's. If, if that's I can respond to a couple <laughs> of comments. Uh, yes, Tom has a bigger network than me and he's more famous. Absolutely. But Tom's also made his fame on being someone who can talk about secession and being seen as an expert on secession, right? He's not going, I'm really dumb and I don't know anything about secession. Listen to me. He's presenting himself as somewhat of an expert. And in his book, we can see that he interviewed many different people from many different backgrounds, trying to show a robust, well-breathed review of secession. So what I see is Tom's trying to present himself as an expert. He's trying to interview a lot of people and get a lot of perspectives. You're completely missing the liberal side. You cannot have a national discussion about secession or the probability without including liberals. And Tom, it looks like that's what you're doing because the last one you had is dead. Secondly, if we're talking about big names, there is no bigger name. I'm, this is going to sound horrible, but there is no bigger name than me when it comes to secession and being a liberal in America anywhere. I had an eight-part series by Warner Brothers Music. I've been on uh, Comedy Central. I've been reviewed by the New York Times, covered by Washington Post, and I've been on Fox News four times. I also embarrassed Laura Ingraham when she talked about the statistics of people leaving California, and I pointed out that we actually make more money she wanted to have me on and say, look, you silly, stupid, liberal Californians, you're losing all these people. You must be losing money. And I go, actually, no, we're making money. And they stopped releasing the episode because I embarrassed her so badly. But I'd like to point out what the rabbi is saying and say, I think these are great signs. I think the fact that these people talk a big game about secession and then when it comes time, don't back us up is a great sign. Hear me out first before you judge for this reason. There was a guy called Mahatma Gandhi. And he tried to get his country of India to secede from the English Empire. And he had a phrase. First, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. And then they fight you. And part four is not they do something else. It's you win. I love that phrase. He goes immediately to ignore, laugh, fight, and then they lose. And what he was saying is that the moment they start to fight you, now you can actually fight them. The enemy has revealed themselves. You can see where they are. They've also said we can lose and we're scared of losing. And you've shown us how we can lose. And that's the only time they come out and fight you. With Gandhi, it was the, um, the salt trade. He was doing all sorts of different things. And he finally figured out that if he could cut off British trade and stop a worker flow, boy, that got him all sorts of upset. And then he just needed to keep poking at that thing until they collapsed. It's the same thing here. So what we have is Reason Magazine, the liberal magazine talking about secession, the right of secession, libertarians talking about the right of secession, Wayne Allen Root, who was famous for backing up Donald Trump, backing up secession, Tucker Carlson having Cal Exit on. And then you guys are talking about Michael Malice and how he talks about secession, but when he gets come, he's not to be there. They're all the same way. When Calexit took off, so, Wayne Allen Root stopped backing it, period. Went dead silent. Tucker so Carlson. I would like to – let's get back to talking about secession. Sorry to cut you off here, but, um, yeah, I don't want to do a show about people. Um, I want to talk about ideas. I want to talk about – well, yeah, so I want to go back to ideas. While you were 
while you were talking, by the way, I uh, flipped through looking for who did say that. And I was wondering if it was you. Not that I, I want to stop talking about people, but you're here, so we can talk about you. Um, it was Brian McClanahan, by the way, who said that, in fact, the leader of the California secession discussion has brought this up. He said this is exactly how we need to do it. This is an interesting topic that we haven't haven't touched. Uh, they're talking about Texas v. White in this in this section and Brian McClanahan. Um, he says uh, right before that, he says under a loose construction approach, in quotes, uh, if it doesn't say you can't boot a state out of the union, that means you can do it, right? So you could use the Constitution like this. Parenthetically, he's he's speaking to Tom Woods. He says uh, what you and I, of course, would consider a fraudulent way, um, close parentheses. And according to the Supreme Court, this reasoning would work. So the red states could boot, say, California, Oregon, and Washington out of the union. Um, a little background there. What he's referring to is the Texas v. White case, which was... Uh, the majority opinion was written by a appointee of Abraham Lincoln shortly after the end of the war uh, for the war for Southern independence. So of course they said that they had to say that that was the case that a lot of people claim to say that it's illegal to secede because of the constitution. It's a backwards view of the constitution. It's saying because the constitution doesn't have an explicitly laid out Brexit type plan that it's illegal um, I just want to make the point for the normies. Uh, that's not what the Constitution is. The Constitution is a list of what the central general government is allowed to do, is authorized, is expressly delegated. It lists the things they can do. If it's not listed, they can't do it. That's not what it is. And then it also has the opposite side, which is it has uh, in uh, Article 1, Section 10, it has a list of what states as a member of the union agree to not do. They're not supposed to coin their own money. They can't make treaties with other nations, right? There's a few things in there that states aren't allowed to do. They're not allowed to restrict trade between states. Basically, the United States is one big free trade zone. If it's not listed, then states are allowed to do it. That's by definition. Uh, that's the whole abortion thing that that Marcus brought up. Like That's why the Supreme Court decision was correct. Even though you see a lot of people are absolutely horrified by the concept that their own state gets to decide what their state's abortion policies are. Like that isn't what they want. What they want is they want their state to dictate to all 320 million people what all 50 states' abortion policies are. They're like scared to death and super angry, screaming, yelling, ready to like kill the Supreme Court justices because their state is allowed to decide for itself. Like they don't understand the Constitution. Right, um, and that, that has been literally since the beginning. Anybody who understands even a little bit of history understands this is the founding principle. Mm -hmm. The United States has never been a blob. Tom Woods talks about that. It has never been a blob, a unitary blob. It has the, never the, been that. Somebody in the book, I don't remember who, I think it's multiple times, they bring up that in the U.S. Constitution, it's the plural. They never refer to the United States as singular. It says them, they, right. Right. these. I only, mean, they, the founders used, often use the word these. It's after exactly. Lincoln. It's, 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 only after after the Civil War. it's only after the Civil War that it's the United States is. So in, so in this discussion of, of Texas v. White, so that was the Supreme Court decision, um, Texas and White, uh, that a lot of people, that's often used to say that secession is illegal which is a false interpretation, even of that decision. Um, but what they did say in there is that the 
Congress can boot a state or decide that a state is no longer a state. It's a territory. And that's what they did to my state. That's what they did to Texas. Um, and that has been used as an argument. And that's what he's talking about here is that that's a way for secession. And I'll just say as a practical matter, that might work. It is a uh, quote unquote, what Brian McClanahan calls it a loose construction. It's basically not understanding how the constitution works and claiming that the Supreme court's opinion is correct, even though it's wrong. It's clearly wrong. Um, the Supreme Court, as an aside, often is wrong, uh, and they don't establish law. So that that particular opinion is wrong, but that doesn't mean it's not useful in court. It doesn't mean it's not useful in the court of public opinion. And it the approach, in my view, um, and Marcus, you brought this up in our roundtable a month or two ago, um, to use that approach, it could be argued I that that you have to like get Congress to boot California. Um, but as Brian McClanahan ends this section, he just says, uh, if you're thinking logically, well, wouldn't it be great if Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi and Diane Feinstein are no longer in the general government, they're just gone. They're in California. Kamala Harris could be the president of the Republic of California. I think that's an interesting scenario that could potentially happen, but here's the kicker, Marcus, <laughs> uh, but again, you'd have to rely on the Republican Party to have a backbone. And we know that's not going to happen. I do want to say about those three women, though, it's not they don't want their power over their little dominion. They're globalists. So like they're they're not OK with leaving other people alone. And this is kind of the problem why some people are so especially on the upper echelons of power against secession movements is because they want to control other people. That is actually their self-interest, which is horrible. It's absolutely terrible that that's what they want. And, um, and one of the reasons, uh, like I, I've heard a lot of people like say, well, we can't let other and, and uh, people on my side too, uh, politically say, we can't let other people do, uh, you know, decide for, you know, their group what they're going to be doing if even if it's wrong and it's like here's the thing on like when it comes to individualism and determined uh, self-determined governance is that and liberty in general you have to allow people to make decisions that you don't agree with otherwise it's not liberty and you have to allow people to make decisions that could be bad for them otherwise it's not liberty and and wait that is a those two concepts seems really hard for people to like accept that it's like maybe you're in a maybe you're anti-porn but they're adults and they want to watch porn you can't tell them not to do it even if you have all these studies that tell you how wrong it is and how bad it is for them you can't tell them they can't do it because the principle of liberty is before all that other information and it's a really hard concept for people to, they're like, I want to help them though. And it's like, yeah, but you're not helping them. That's right. the problem. That's, you're not. Exactly. Well, and it's so funny because people use this. I think they might've mentioned this in the national divorce argument, if I remember correctly, but this idea, or maybe I mentioned it, maybe he mentioned it in another episode, I'm not sure. But this idea of, oh, if we secede, all these other people are going to do bad things. Well, that's their freaking problem. I don't care. That's their problem. I just want you to leave me alone. I don't care what you do. You want to kill yourself? Please do me a favor. Go ahead. I don't care. Just leave my daughter and leave myself alone. 
That's what I want. I want collaboration that is voluntary, voluntarism. That's all I want, right? And it's so insane that these people literally think, oh, but I'm doing it for your own good. No, that proves my premise. Nobody is selfless. You're doing it extremely for your good, completely against me. If you were truly, truly selfish in a conscientious way, which I try to be, you would say, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I, I respect Mark, Marcus, okay, this idea of California wants to leave. Great, that's perfect. How can I help you do that? Right, and he, and he respects us in this idea of how can we get rid of each other? We don't like each other. Okay, great, perfect. I respect that, no problem. How can we help each other separate? That's the point, right? And that's what people need to yeah. do. But it's a very selfish standpoint. That's what I don't, I don't understand how people can't get that. It is truly selfish, but it's selfish in a conscientious way. I, I agree with both of you. And, and that is our main argument, which you literally just said. If you don't vote us out, conservative America, or non-liberal, non-California America, we're going to come to your state, and we're going to force you to live by our laws through two ways. We're going to take over Congress, and we're going to force it through. And then we're also going to have our people literally invade your state and also vote and change the law. So we'll change it at the federal level, and we'll change it at the state level. And there's nothing you can do to stop us from coming and changing all your laws and destroying your way of life except to have us be separate and it's already have, happening yeah we just have to say as a practical matter that is mostly what's happening not completely because we did we did just see roe v wade get overturned so it, it it can get changed occasionally but it is moving in that direction um as uh, somebody brings up in the book it is the progressive left if we want to use that term like i said i don't like these group terms uh, that is winning that is winning there's another michael malice quote it's not in this book when he says uh i can't remember i'm paraphrasing i don't remember he said conservative liberal or republican democrat but like conservatives are liberals liberals driving at the speed limit um basically that's what washington is it's ratcheting in that direction because the progressive left if i may use that term um has the upper hand for the most part that's the direction it's moving. And the, the mainstream Republican conservative right position is to just kind of slow it down. Um, that's what's that. that's what's been happening in my life. I mean, I voted. I've been voting since I was 18. Um, I'll have to say, I don't know if it's a, is it a good record? Like no one I voted for ever won president. I don't know why I bothered uh, for 40 years, 30 years, 35 years. I was voting in New Jersey. Um, you can imagine what a small L libertarian voting in New Jersey does. Uh, and for seven years, I voted in Maryland. That isn't any better. Now I'm in Florida, and I got to Florida, and I think, oh, maybe it is worth voting. But, but then but we had then we had that. Donald Trump against Hillary Clinton. I'm like, I'm not going to bother. I didn't go vote. <laughs> I don't like. I don't want either one of them. And the libertarian candidate was horrible. Wasn't even a libertarian. Maybe this is an aside thing, but you know, you see this whole. Mises caucus overthrow, takeover, whatever you want to call it, of the Libertarian Party. The Libertarian Party is actually becoming libertarian. It's interesting. Libertarian of Florida, Libertarian Party of Florida has a key platform is secession. Like that's in their list as a as a key secession topic. So there are people into politics. If the Libertarian Party nominates Dave Smith for president, I might actually go vote this time. Um I wrote in Thomas Massey last time. 
I would actually vote Trump. in that case. If Dave Smith were on the ballot, I would actually vote. I haven't voted you would vote? Oh, hell yeah. I'd, vote. I'd take my absentee ballot. I'd get that and I'd vote for that. So you, so you still, you're registered to vote in, you said in Washington? Oh, you're yeah. A US no, citizen? I, I haven't, yeah, I'm a U.S. citizen, but yeah. I haven't voted federally for years. I only so did a brief, I did a really brief years. intro to everybody and, but, you know, we're kind of, we're 20 minutes from ending here. So I just want to point out to people, JG Franklin, he's in Brazil. So he's talking a little yes. bit about secession from the Brazilian secession movement point of view, which I know nothing about other than I have a friend in Natal who's talked about the last election and how crazy the whole thing is at the yeah, federal well, level in Brazil too. And Brazil, Brazil is a, a huge state. Yeah. Brazil, well, is yeah, a well, huge... Brazil has a history. Of course, the, uh, the most Southern three states, you um, the Sul, Santa Catarina y Paraná, they have a history of trying to secede. It didn't, didn't work. Um, there currently are three movements that I know of in Sao Paulo for secession. Sao Paulo actually did try to secede, I think, in 1932. There was a war uh, over that. Um, and Brazil has suffered through two dic dictatorships, first Getulio Vargas in 1930, and then, um, of course, that was the, the, I guess, I don't know, for lack of, it's, it's this left-right thing. It was certainly the more coercivist and then the at the left that time, right, defended was more right, def, you know, overthrew them and then brought in uh, PT, the Pechistas, which is now so far left. They're both coercivists, but I mean, they, they've suffered through that. Now, Lula's been reelected. Oh, it's just insane. It's insane. Brazil is insane. Um, and I'm trying to I'm trying to work with. It's funny because an, a direct descendant of the imperial family, Luis Felipe Jornal Esperanza, I've met him. I've, I've been in contact with them. I'm trying to convince him and others. Uh, Elio Beltrão, who is the president of Mises.org um, Brazil, uh, to to work uh, to promote the Constituição Libertadora, which is the Liberator Constitution, which is an actually new constitution. It's been out for about a year or so. Very few people know about it. Um, but it, it would be, it's a, it's a secessionist document in the sense of it would be, you know, seceding from the current social democratic, you know, constitution, which was from 1988, um, and then, then acceding to this new constitution if people could, you know, use their brains and understand that this would at least be a step forward. It's not as radical as I personally want, but it's certainly a step forward. Um, and that is a type of secession, and I'm trying to foment that as much as I can as one guy, you know, here in Brazil. So, so maybe Stephen, you need to, to start a second group, which is uh, earth. It's earthlings United for peaceful separation. <laughs> you can add Scotland, get Scotland and Brazil. Right. And, and Rabbi Stephen, I just sent the website for the Americans United for peaceful separation to, to my uh, new colleagues who I've been in contact with recently after a Liberty exposition here uh, in, in Excellent. Uh, so I'm going to try to start, you know, you know, getting more people together uh, because, yeah, we, we need to do this. So. I would so, say, listen, Jake, when it, you insisted you're American, so you're in. But <laughs> the rest of the people around the world will talk about. Even he's well, talking about Brazil. Yeah, no, I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking about, no, I'm talking about Brazil because this is another thing. I say Brazilians are Americans. I'm North American. Brazilians are simply South American. We're all American. Anybody who thinks otherwise, it's a geographic designation. That's all it is. Yeah, there's two different. I just want to comment on that. I, I do know what you're saying, and I sometimes use that. It's useful to trigger people mostly um, when they say Americans. So often what people mean 
probably most of the time they're talking about the United States of America, yes, I know. which but is no, actually a dumb, it's, that's actually it's not a, really a good stupid. name. It's, exactly. Yes. Exactly. I, I recognize, but I, reckon, I recognize it, but that's what they mean. It's the same as like, I think someone in the book brought up states rights. It's Jeffrey Deist, I think he says, well, yeah, states rights. States don't have rights. Everybody knows that. That's not what we mean by states rights. What we mean right, is that exactly. states have, I usually but say authority, but yeah, North America, it, South America, Right, I think it's just the term, and we should. What did you? What would you suggest we use for the United well, States? Exactly, but look here in Portuguese, they have the word "estadunidense," which literally means "United Statesian." United Statesian. Oh, that's a good one. In Portuguese, that's that word you, literally yeah, exists. Why don't you type that in the private chat? Sure. And, uh, you might so, have to help me again to learn how to pronounce it. I, I I can do pretty good with Spanish, but I sometimes have problem United with Portuguese. There's they switch the th sound. Even though I did learn Spanish with Castilian yes, Spanish, I, I still have trouble with it now. Just, Marcus can probably correct. say it. But this is more correct, right? Because Canada, it Canada is, is Canadense. Mexico is Mexican, right? So Estadounidense Dev should be Estadounidense, United States. And technically that would because America doesn't make any sense. Yeah, can it, most Canadians, so since most Canadians live within 50 miles of the border, they almost fall into the Americans. And, well, they are. Um, they are but geographically. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, that's just a term. Um, I would like to learn that term because I agree with you fundamentally. And, and I would, I don't, you, you won't hear me use the term Americans except by mistake no, or if I'm in a conversation make, with somebody. I make a point. I don't I've use been that doing term. this for years. I've been doing this for years. I make a point. Everybody I talk to, no, 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 no. You're American. I'm American. I'm Estadounidense. I'm Estadounidense. Você é brasileiro. Eu sou Estadounidense. That's, That's, That's a good correct. one, yeah. Except none of your business in chat brings up a good point. If it takes more than six letters, it won't catch on with Americans, I might say. <laughs> um, so the the the... It's a good word, and we should have one for that. It's I think of it in the same category as the World Series. It's kind of an American ego thing. Like the World Series is, <laughs> like they think that they think we are the world, and Washington D.C. also thinks we're the world. That's why we're the biggest. Well, the United States and, government is the biggest empire on the planet. And it's funny because the, the, the United States is the only union. I won't say country. It's the only union that uses the word football differently than every other country on the planet. <laughs> and the metric right. system. Yeah. They are in the metric system. Yeah. So, uh, the, uh, the English system, there's us in Liberia. Yeah. yeah. Are the only, yeah. The standard. That's an interesting system. trivia question. What are the two things that the United States and Liberia has in common? <laughs> also, what side of the road we drive on is yeah. uh, like, that one's, yeah. that one's actually a little bit more split. Worldwide, is is but, Liberia on the left? Yeah. Does anybody in Liberia still have cars? <laughs> Sorry, getting off topic there. Uh, um, I anyway, did wanna, so I, I try I to get back to Texas v. White. So, do do you want to? Yeah, let's let's talk about secession. So the Brazil the Brazil angle is interesting. I want to learn more about that. Well, yeah, um, and so here, and so, here's so I think this what we're going to do is have a, uh, and I'm going to start talking about wrapping up here. Um, we are going to. I am going to do another secession roundtable. So. Um, all you are, you all are invited. Definitely, Marcus, Stephen, uh, and JG uh, Franklin is going to come on, and, and we're going to talk more about uh, his his perspective. Um, I don't know if we do that. If you would talk about the Washington and the Oregon secession, being from yeah, the yeah, Pacific sure. Northwest, sure, sure. I'm curious I'm and would like that. to have somebody that knows a lot about the Greater Idaho Movement 
as part of a secession panel and get into this idea of a state yeah. peacefully Tom splitting Woods, up. Tom Woods did an episode with somebody. I forget his name, but he did a recent episode about the mm. greater Idaho. Yeah. So somebody that knows about that. Um, and I want to talk about the various movements in California. Uh, um, I still don't even have a full list, but there's a bunch of them. Um, I'm, thanks to Marcus, I've learned a lot more about the, the, the full state secession movement. I'm in, basically in favor of secession, as uh, several Me people too. in the book brought up. Um, Absolutely. Ending ending with the uh, the liberal, the left liberal represented, even though the guy's dead, um, his words live on in Tom's book. I think it's interesting that Tom, he had seven to pick from, really six, because one of them is him. Uh, so he picked himself for one at a Mises caucus event on secession. The other six are people that he picked. And I'm intrigued and interested in this list in the several people I didn't know about, which was one, one was uh, Kirkpatrick Sale uh, and another one, F.H. Buckley, wasn't familiar with him. The other ones I was very familiar with. I've watched their shows, I've seen interviews, I've read stuff by them, but those are two I didn't know about. Um, and the, the left progressive aspect of secession is really interesting to me. And um, because I do believe in more secession. So I'm pretty sure it's Kirk Sale that says, uh, and I assume it's Sale. Actually, I want to ask you that before I say it again. Marcus, is that how you say his last name? Or is it I Sully? could be saying it wrong. I say Kirkpatrick Sale. I Sale, okay. I started I reading wrong. it Sully, but I, but it might, I can okay. easily be wrong on this, brother. Okay, so I'm just saying Sale for now, uh, being, a, being a red, white, and blue American here. Um, America. 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 Says in the Bible, boy. <laughs> yeah, no one would get into that. That's uh that's that's a um we're not gonna get into religion too I can far. Do it up. Yeah. Did you ever hear that that quote? That's a Scott Horton quote. I'm just gonna says it's it's about um no, I don't want to go down there, but he you know it's says right. in the Bible, boy. <laughs> yeah, yes, way off yes. left field. It's a it's a right field actually. <laughs> but right uh field. it's his quip. Um, I'll just say it because I got so far into it. It says in the Bible, boy, that you do whatever the president says if he's a Republican. Romans thirteen. Yeah. Yes, I. Yeah, they have that one. picture. Scott Horton. I don't. He didn't pick Scott Horton for one. Uh, but anyway, um, I want to. Yeah. We're uh, seven minutes from two hours here, uh, or nine because they started a few minutes late. Um. So does anybody want to have any any uh, last last minute, a minute or two? And then I want to go through the, the books just to point it out. So I'll start by saying here's the book we're doing, um, National Divorce by Tom Woods, uh, The Peaceful Solution to Irreconcilable Differences. We'll put the links in the show notes on the Unsafe Space website. That'll be up in a day or so, day or two. Um, Carter doesn't have any internet right now so um, because of a tree fell on all his wires. Um, so that may take a few days, but normally that's uh, within a day. Um, I'll prepare the links. I saw a bunch of good links in private chat. Uh, thanks, Marcus. JG put some in. Um, I think Stephen put one. Like I'm going to go through them and figure out what we should put in the show notes. Um, I'll definitely put you know a, a link to your thing, whatever your thing is. Uh, this book is available for free if you're willing to, to read Tom Wood's emails. They happen to be awesome. I'll promote them. So if you're not getting Tom Woods emails, he's great. Uh, secession is not what most of them are about. Actually, very rarely 
Uh, he's awesome on COVID lockdowns. He's awesome on nullification. He's got a book called Nullification, which I have. It's a great book. Um, and it's not a compilation. That one's him. Uh, he's a great author. A whole bunch of books. The Politically Incorrect Guide. He wrote one yeah, of them. Yeah, with, with Michael so, Malice. That with Michael hilarious Malice. videos. Those are hilarious videos. Yeah. On so the he's dangerousdocumentaries.com website. So, so this book is available there for free. Also, it's it was about ten bucks on um, Amazon for the paperback version. I bought three. Uh, I'm gonna do another one here that I just got. Uh, this is Alu Axelman, who uh, was going to join us, but uh, congratulations to Alu uh, for a family thing that happened Friday. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. Did you know this, Marcus? We'll just oh, say Alu. Alu. Alu is, he runs the Liberty Block. Uh, he's a great author. I yes, think he wrote three books, books last year, yeah. something he's like three. One good. of them is that I just got, Articles of Secession, how our symptom, systems would function better in an independent New Hampshire. He's a New Hampshire guy. Um, he's a pork fest guy. Uh, that's where I met him. Uh, he was going to be here, but uh, his wife gave birth on Friday to a future president of the Republic of New Hampshire. Uh, the other book I brought up, Texit by Daniel Miller. Uh, this one is this one is great. This is uh, the biggest book of these three by far. Daniel Miller in this book goes through all the arguments and explains why Texas should be independent. And it's a powerful book. Um, so that's a good one. Uh, I had one other shameless plug. This is Carter wanted me to do. Um, the Unsafe Space Merchant Store. So if you're enjoying our content here. Uh, please check out unsafespace.com. You can support the show there. Um, and Carter's been working on the merch site. Uh, this is products for thought criminals. Uh, here's some of our, our shirts here. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, irreconcilable differences uh, for the pork fest people. <laughs> you notice the porcupine is this, the libertarian symbol. That's, a, that's the American animal that doesn't bother anybody, uh, leaves, keeps to itself. But if you touch it, you're in trouble. <laughs> um, that's the symbol. And the opposite is the sheep uh, with the broken heart. So that's an example. We got hats and shirts and hoodies and everything um, in black. So, yeah, check out, check out unsafespace.com slash donate, unsafespace.com slash uh, merch. What's it called? Shop, unsafespace.com slash shop. And you can go to unsafespace.com book club and i'll put all the links uh in there that'll take a couple days to get up you can get to all these different shows and i'm going to link the audio versions of every chapter here which is what the book is based on the tom wood shows mises caucus talks uh so you can listen to it to each one of these chapters um and hear the whole story from the person it's it's great um, none your business says offer Texit. We can return to call ourselves Texans. Uh, if people that watch rebel civics, uh, they know that I just refer to myself as a Floridian. Uh, if I talk about citizenship, I say I'm a Florida citizen. Uh, I don't consider, I don't, even though I do have a passport that says United States and, the, and it's called the, I usually use these United States. I, I'm trying to convert to they, cause that's actually proper. Um, it's the plural, and that's why the plural, there's there's no place in the Constitution where they use the singular. Uh, it's it's plural. Um, these United States. In the Declaration of Independence, the U is not capitalized. 
it's just the English word united. All right, so that's all I'm going to say in a closeout. So, so uh, JG, you want to you want to go next? Give me a minute or two closeout. Um, oh well, uh, I was just going to say first of all, thank you for letting me participate. I, I would love to continue to network with people and, and try to you know try to expose these ideas and, and get them where they need to be because they need to be part of the larger conversation. And I'm certainly um, hoping that I can expand that internationally to here in the rest of the South Americas, <laughs> to Brazil, um, because these are American principles and American ideals, and they, they are absolutely fundamental uh, for everybody who actually cares, that is, who are, who are conscientious. Um, so yeah, as far as, um, you know, I, I definitely want to keep in contact, and um, I would actually, in fact, I would like to ask if I can um, bring my two compatriots on, João and Gabriel, would you be willing to have them on? Because of course they are truly Brazilian, right? And so they can have them, and they're very um, intelligent uh, young men um, and quite uh, quite adept English speakers, especially, um, well, both of them are, but anyway, um, maybe they could give you a much more, you know, accurate picture of historical uh, history, um, things like that. I highly doubt, I would love to have, of course, Luis Felipe on um, or Elia Boltrao, but that's damn near impossible. Um, but if I could get João Gabriel uh, to join me, would that be okay um, for the, the next? Yeah, I, I don't know all the words exactly, but I'd just say, me, gust me gustaría tener unos amigos, rebel civics. Okay. So, um, it would be very good, okay. exactly. So I'll and let I them saw, know for the next one, yeah. So, I saw your word in here, estad, estad undes. Tell me how to pronounce that yeah, in Portuguese. So, so the intonation is estad unidense. Estad unidense. Marcus, go. Um, I want to say thank you for having us on. I was going to, I'm sorry. I wanted to, the, the word for Americans. No, I meant like, could you, yeah, you've helped me pronounce that. You can Americanos. help me remember. <laughs> Americanos. That's true. Yeah, there is yeah, a Spanish yeah. word for that. Americanos is the Spanish word for that. Yeah. That's what that means, yeah. right? Americanos does not refer to Me Mexicanos. See? No. Americanos, at least it's it specifically means America, uh, United States American America. citizens. Is what what about saying. Canada? What do they call Canada Canadians? Uh, there's another Canada. It's a Canadian. Ariano. Yeah, because Portuguese has Canadense, Estadunidense, Mexicano. Yeah, they're similar, but they're not exactly the same. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna use if I'm sorry, JG, because I already know the word Americanos. I think I'll just start using that one because I can, but I'm going to learn that other one. So anyway, no, sorry. An to more correct. Yeah. I started an answer. Um, mm -hmm. So Marcus, anyway, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, why don't you do your closing? I want to say thank you to Stevie J who liked my outfit. Thanks. The green tie is for Marjorie Taylor green. You're not going to see any other liberal recognizing some of the stuff that she says. I wear this whenever I hang out with non California liberals to let you guys know I'm willing to have these discussions. Uh, Keith, thanks for having us on. I wanted to say that I think we're winning and I think this is a good time. America's not getting better. It's not coming together. And there's more discussions like what Keith's doing here on secession every time. And every couple months, there's more intelligent faces popping up. The trend's only going one way. Unity in America's going down. Discussion and intellectual leaders in secession is only going up if you look at the trend lines, period. That's it. It's been that way for a couple of years. So you mark those trend lines out. It only goes one way. Thanks, Keith, for having us.
You're muted, ahead, by the way. Go ahead, Alex. Oh, well, so I mean, you. so were you? Go me. Okay. Well, you. I mean, I am of unsafe space. I'm not a guest. Um, but I like. I'll never ever not support the idea that a group of people want to leave a bigger union. That is just from principles of liberty. That is always going to be my stance. I don't even care why they want to leave. I'm just going to say yes. Go ahead. Um, and I don't really think there needs to be a lot of civic support for it, by which I mean past law. I don't think it, I don't think it's necessary. Uh, I mean, it's helpful to get people on your side, but I don't think it's uh, a needed um, argument. Now, when it comes to people saying, well, you're going to fail if you're a smaller country, um, I have always found that to be also not a very good argument because as I said, Liberty is allowing people to choose an option that might equal failure too. So I'm totally fine with that as well. And um, I think a lot of people don't think about these things from a principles first standpoint. And that is absolutely uh, to me where we should start the conversation, but uh, not everyone likes to think about principles at all, so. Yes, I agree. And I would like to just point out too that it's, I'm not the first one to mention this, but it's so funny. And, and Marcus, he recognizes this, we want, these guys to have what they want. Go ahead, have your utopia by all means, but leave me out of it. That's that's the only condition. We don't care. We celebrate. Go ahead. So why why is it so difficult for that other side? I won't necessarily include Marcus in this, but that other side to relinquish. Well, it's not this. it's it's not left versus right. It's authoritarian versus non-authoritarian coercivist and, and voluntarist absolutely yes. absolutely but 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 my point again is simply that look again the, the logic doesn't make sense and i will give in a specific example about masks for example masks or vaccination look if what my umbrella won't work if you don't use your umbrella i mean this kind of it's it's just pure stupidity right and we want you to have go ahead we're not saying don't have it we're simply saying, don't include me. <laughs> so the, the point is that, you know, the, the libertarian view of like, we're fighting to win elections and leave you alone. Like, that's basically, that's why it's hard to get libertarians to do it, because what they want to do is leave everybody alone. So they don't really want control. Uh, I think as far as stupid goes, like, I don't look at the, the central authoritarians left and right, you know, um, Republican and Democrat. As stupid, if they were stupid, they'd be pickpockets and petty no, no, exactly. and, no, they're, and no, they're used not. car salesmen or something. They're not. They're not used car salesmen. They're not it's, Yeah, it's it's having an IQ above eighty five. That's the problem. Well, it's um, the, they're Bonhoeffer's the, 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 theory Congress. of stupidity. Not, that's why they're not, in Congress. Well, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> yeah, let's let's close out with that. Um, so yeah, good point. Good point. Um, I don't think. I think that secession uh, is moving on, is is all around us, as Daniel Miller pointed out in the book. Um, and uh, it's awesome having all these people talking about it. My experience with it is I, I think I saw it 10, 20 years ago. I don't remember when I first started thinking this was the thing to do, but you couldn't talk about it. Uh, now you can talk about it. Like I'm actually not concerned about losing the YouTube channel talking about secession. And I just think of a YouTube, if YouTube was around in the 90s, 
I think we would have lost our YouTube channel for, for this. And it isn't that YouTube doesn't want to censor us. It's that this topic is reaching mainstream. Uh, you can openly talk about it. Marjorie Taylor Greene talked about it, as, as you pointed out, with your green tie. Oh, and by the way, um, there was a comment about your tie. You got a green heart, Marcus, from Stevie J. And he said, Mark looks dapper uh, with a green heart. <laughs> so you uh, said, I love the, the, the color coordination. So, um, yeah, when you see someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Tucker Carlson, the biggest TV news host there is, like he can say secession. It's fine. Um, big podcasters, uh, we're pretty soon, we're going to start seeing CNN talk about it more. And I think it's actually the left progressive. It's Cal exit. It's, it's Washington, Oregon talking about splitting off. Um, that is what's going to drive the legacy news to be talking about this more. And maybe California will be first and everybody here is fine with that. Like, I think it'll work great. We'll get along better. That's kind yeah, of the point. Totally. So how can I help? All I, I, all wanna, I, want, all I wanna, care about is how can I help? Let's, let's help. help as I happen. said, as I said in the 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 secession roundtable, like what I would like to be doing soon as possible, Marcus, is sitting at a table with Marcus talking about the free trade agreement between the Republic of Florida and the Republic of California. That's what we should be talking about, right? Um, it's and back to you know Alex's. You're, you're muted, Marcus. Back to you know Alec, what Alex brought up. Uh, it is easier to think about in in the personal level. So, um, how many divorced couples are there that get along great now? <laughs> one of them my got the house, the other one got the car, sure. and they. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. My ex and I are really good friends. Um, <laughs> so, so um, it it's it can be done, and it often is done. Um, and and that might be required to do it. So that's really what we're talking about here is peaceful separation. That's the point of the book. I'm really glad to see it becoming mainstream com you know, conversation yeah. and acceptable. And like I said, I don't, I don't think there's any risk to the YouTube channel and we have to be careful. Unsafe spaces dedicated to the truth and reason. And you have to be careful if you want to keep your YouTube channel, we oh, do yeah. self censor on some subjects. I'm glad to see secession is not one of them right now it's nice that's what i mean totally agree with everything you're saying keith that the subject's becoming more germane more mainstream there's more sitting members of congress talking about it there's more newscasters talking about it there's more discussion that only shows the trajectory of of uh well, one way and it's just it's just so good for everybody it's a win-win for everybody really this is why i don't understand why it's such a hard sell for some people i i the, the Sorry. The answer. I'm going to answer that question and then close out the show. The reason it's a hard sale for some of the people is because that isn't what they want. They do not want Marcus's California yeah. proposal. Alex that is not that. what they want. There's only yeah. there's only 40 million people. They don't want control of 40 million. They actually want control of eight billion, and they're satisfying themselves with control of 320 million right now. But that isn't what they want either. They want one world government. And so California no. leaving the union is the opposite of the approach they want. Right. But here's I the thing I don't, here's thing I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand why the, why the general public accepts this so easily. I'm not talking about them. I know they're evil. <laughs> because we've been. been raised to believe in a nanny state. 
We've been yeah. raised and broken down to believe in a nanny state. And that's why progressives do this. They want to control everything. And in their mind, they think they're good people and they're not being a fascist or a dictatorian or a totalitarian. They view it as I need to save everybody. There's somebody who's hurt somewhere over there and bad people are making it happen. And it's okay for me to stomp on those bad people to help what I perceive to be the good people, even though the bad people are the majority of the population, there's this moral arc of rights and a march of humanity in a certain direction. And it's my part of being history to make that happen. That's how liberals see the world. And they've been trained as Americans, I'm sorry, yes. since through the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, that that is an acceptable way of thinking. Only right. now are people starting to push back. We've had right. 50 years of the march of progress of America, and right. we're moving up, right? Well, Beaten into our head. And as an English teacher, as an English teacher, I've taken the last 14 years now, three years in South Korea and 11 years here, and I, I have a really big pet peeve. People misuse words all the time. People misuse rights and privileges, right? They misuse America, you know, all America, you know, and it just, it annoys me, right? And I do my best to try to educate people to understand what the words actually mean. Or, or this is not me, this is not original stuff. People throughout history have said the exact same thing. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy how, and how so few people actually want to rebel, against this mindset they don't want personal responsibility it's it's well, the people. the government yeah i'm going to just make one comment and then close the show out um remember i said in the beginning that i thought the hardest thing was going to be is going to stop talking to you guys <laughs> about this in two hours so okay. yeah i was i was right. right i predicted the future okay um, you were right so <laughs> so um i'm going to run the credits i'm going to close it and run the credits we can do a close out so just stay with the uh Watch the credits and hang out. Um, thanks, everybody, for coming. And I will answer the question very briefly. The problem is that most people went to government schools. And the purpose of government schools is to make you love your country uh, and be good soldiers and good factory workers. And that's where the problem comes from. So, yeah, after 20 years in a government school, uh, of course, they think it can't do that. The winners write the history books. The winners control the curricula in our schools so maybe jg when florida leaves the union maybe i can talk to you into coming to florida and teaching here absolutely absolutely there's plenty of there's plenty as, of as people as, if, if my ex-wife dies before then it'll be easier because she's blocking my attempt to leave brazil so <laughs> wow okay we better save that for another show on citizenship um, so we're going to do, uh, I'm going to do a secession round table. Uh, I don't have a date picked yet, but, uh, we'll do one in, you know, within a month or so. Um, and JG, you're definitely, definitely invited. And of course, Marcus. Um, so thanks everybody for joining. Uh, we all recommend this book, uh, secession. Pleasure, yes. Thank yeah, you. Nice national, you, national doors. Okay. So goodbye everybody. Thanks for joining. This production was made possible through the generous support of our members. To join our community, visit unsafespace.com. Unsafe Space is an online publication for individualists interested in subverting authoritarianism and ushering in the next enlightenment. For biting analysis and nourishing composition, or to sign up for our weekly news brief, The Abstract, visit unsafespace.com. 
Thanks for joining us today. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized for distribution on Apple devices. The following co-conspirators are hereby uninvited to Klaus Schwab's Winter Solstice Party. Please be advised that CBS News has paused activity on unsafe space while it continues to assess security. Central Bank Digital Currency is a safe and secure way to protect you from Sam Bankman Freed. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't think about it, I mean, that's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is misinformation. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.